Nothing. There we go. Good morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, please open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're starting a series on church membership uh, on the church today, and we are talking about church membership this morning. And it's been an appropriate morning. I'm going to, as you're going to hear in the sermon here in just a moment, it takes every member of a church body to make things work. And we've already experienced that this morning. Caleb and Drake completely rewired the microphone headset in the back because the other one broke. And when the countdown clock says like three minutes and 17 seconds and the microphone doesn't turn on, they don't teach you how to handle that in seminary. You just find Drake and say, please help us. So we're starting a series on the church. Today we are going to talk about church membership. Why does it matter that you belong to a local church? That's what we're going to consider this morning. And we're going to look at verses 12 to 26 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's going to be our text as we consider the question, why does it matter that you belong to a local church? So I hope you've turned to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I hope that you will follow along with me as we read from God's word. This is what the Holy Spirit says to the church, beginning in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts Yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and on our unpresentable parts, we treat them with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord given to us for our good. Let's pray and ask God to bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us now that you would please open our ears, soften our hearts, sharpen our minds, that you would grant us the illumination that we need from the Holy Spirit, that we would both believe your word, understand it, and then apply it, Father, through lives of obedience and faith. Father, help us to continue to grow as a church so that our life together reflects the reality of the gospel. Father, please keep me from error. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would please build your church here at Fisherville. 
that you would continue building your church through your gospel so that your name would be exalted and magnified. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. How will God keep you safe until you reach heaven? That's the question I'd like to start with today. How will God keep you safe until you reach heaven? One of the incredible realities of the gospel is that God keeps all whom he saves. None of Christ's people will ever be lost. So how does God fulfill that promise? How does he fulfill the promise to keep, one, keep one, each one of us until we reach heaven? Amazingly, there are numerous answers to that question. God keeps us safe by the blood of Christ. When Christ died for his people, he died for their eternal salvation. The blood of Christ is effective, and therefore not one of Christ's people will ever be lost, praise God. God keeps us by the blood of Christ. God also keeps us safe by his Spirit. Having given us life by the Holy Spirit, God perseveres our faith by that same Spirit. Each day that a Christian wakes up believing the gospel is an evidence of God's grace, his persevering grace through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit-wrought faith is one of the means that God uses to keep us safe for heaven. So in various ways, God is fulfilling his promise to keep you and I secure until we reach the presence of God. But there is an overlooked means of protection that God has given to his people. It's one that we tend to take for granted in part because we are increasingly hardwired to think of life solely in individual terms. But one of the ways that God is keeping you and I safe for heaven is by calling us to join a local church where the gospel is preached and where the fellowship of the saints keeps watch over our souls. Church membership is a way that God keeps you safe for heaven. Have you ever thought of church membership in this way? I'll confess that I grew up in the church I think, according to my mom, I was six days old the first time she took me to church. I grew up in the church, but I always thought of church membership more as a formality than a grace. You may have a similar background. Church membership is a way that you can keep track of people. It's a way to chart the numerical increase or decrease in a church. It's more of a formality than a grace. I think that's how most people tend to think of it. But over the years, God changed my perspective on church membership. Rather than a formality to be followed, church membership is a grace to be received. It's not a formality. It's an evidence of grace. Through the local church, God is keeping me safe for heaven. And friends, that's what I hope to emphasize to you this morning. If you are a Christian today, then church membership, Joining a local church, church membership, is an evidence of God's grace in your life. It is one of the ways, one of the many ways, that God the Father is keeping you safe for himself. He keeps you through the body of Christ. 
So for some of us, what we're going to talk about this morning is going to be a refresher. We're going we're to cover convictions that you already hold and that you already affirm. For others, there may be some new aspects to church membership that we think about this morning. Some of us may even be challenged to think about church membership in a completely new way. But for all of us who are members of this particular church, I pray that this sermon will mark a renewal of sorts, a recommitment to practice church membership in a way that pictures the gospel and follows God's word and displays God's grace to each other. That's what I hope happens. Our text this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And some background to this chapter will help us as we begin our study. At this point in 1 Corinthians, Paul is responding to a letter that the Corinthians wrote to him. Probably about chapter 6, he begins to respond to their letter. And so far, he's discussed things like lawsuits, marriage, food sacrifice to idols, and the Lord's Supper. Now, in chapter 12, Paul begins to discuss spiritual gifts. It seems that the Corinthian church had created a hierarchy of gifts within their congregation, and they were using that hierarchy to differentiate which member deserved more honor than another member. And some of this appears to affect how they were practicing the Lord's Supper. They were reserving certain seats in like an extra special uh, section, it seems. And this hierarchy of gifts was certainly limiting their ability to love one another. That's why chapter 12 on spiritual gifts is followed by the great chapter on love, 1 Corinthians 13. All of that to say, our text this morning contains Paul's teaching on the purpose of spiritual gifts in the church. And in the midst of this teaching, Paul employs a striking analogy for the church. The analogy is so familiar to us that we tend to forget it's an analogy. Paul calls the church a body, a physical body. That's the analogy. Just as our physical body is one with many members, so also the church is one with many members. Members. In order for the body to function in a healthy way, every member is needed. And the same is true for a local church. In order for a church to function in a healthy way, every member is needed. So that, that's the big picture for our passage, the analogy of a body. But that big picture rests on an implication. The implication is this. The body knows who its members are. And those members know their role and their responsibility within the body. That implication that the body knows who its members are, that implication is why we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. Paul's image of the church as a body gives us the opportunity to reflect on church membership in all of its spiritual significance. So, full disclosure, I'm not going to explain everything about spiritual gifts from 1 Corinthians 12 today. We'll save that for a series on 1 Corinthians. 
Instead, what I want to do is think about church membership through the lens of this metaphor as the church, of the church as a body. And I want us to understand the spiritual significance for local churches practicing membership with one another. To that end, I want to draw your attention to three reasons why a church ought to prioritize the practice of church membership. Three reasons why a church ought to prioritize practicing membership. Each reason comes from Paul's teaching in this chapter, and each reason invites us to reflect on our own practice and how we can grow. Three reasons why we ought to prioritize this. Let's begin then in in verses 12 to 14 with the first reason church membership matters. Number one, church membership pictures our shared spiritual life. Church membership pictures our shared spiritual life. Verse 12 makes Paul's imagery quite clear. Notice the connection he draws between a physical body and Christ's body. Look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. As we said earlier, this image is so well known, we tend to overlook it. But Paul's point is significant. From your feet to your hands, from your lungs to your heart, from your eyes to your ears, all of those members are part of the same body. The physical body is one entity. And so it is with Christ, Paul says. The body of Christ, the church, is one entity. It's a unity of all of Christ's people, all of those who have been purchased by his blood. And that unity is made up of numerous diverse members. That's the composition of the church. Many members united together in one body. Now, Paul's point applies to what is sometimes called the universal church. Verse 12 encompasses all believers down through the ages, so that each Christian, each Christian belongs to the church, capital C. While that is a doctrinally true statement, we need to remember the context of the letter at this point. Paul is writing to a particular local church, the church in Corinth. So his primary application in verse 12 is not necessarily the universal church, though that connection is certainly true. Paul's primary application is the local church. The members who are united together as the body of Christ in a particular place. For Paul, that particular place is Corinth. For us, that particular place is Fisherville, Kentucky. So let's not overlook the emphasis on specific, particular, local churches. Yes, there is such a thing as the universal, capital C, church. Absolutely. But that's not Paul's point here. In fact, when the New Testament writes of the church, the overwhelming emphasis is on local churches. Local manifestations of the body of Christ. Even though there are many of us present today, we are all united together in one body, this particular body, in this local place, here. Paul then goes on in verse 13 to explain why these various members can be considered one body. 
It's because of the Spirit's work to give us life. Look at verse 13. For in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, all were made to drink of one Spirit. So we need to be clear on something here about verse 13. Paul speaks of being baptized in the Spirit and drinking of the Spirit. We should take those two phrases as being synonymous. They refer to the same spiritual reality. So being baptized in the Spirit and drinking from the Spirit are not two different things. They're the same thing. And that same thing is conversion, becoming a Christian. The moment where God gives you new life and you trust in Christ and through Christ you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So being baptized in the Spirit is becoming a Christian. Drinking of the Spirit is becoming a Christian. Paul is not referring in verse 13 to a second experience of grace. He is not referring to a subsequent baptism of the Holy Spirit after you become a Christian. He's just saying when you became a Christian the Holy Spirit did that. And that's true of all of you. So Paul in verse 13 is referring to the one experience of grace that every Christian receives. It's conversion through faith in Christ sealed with the Holy Spirit. But the deeper point in verse 13 has to do with our unity as members of Christ's body. If you are a Christian today, if you're repenting of your sins and trusting in Jesus Christ then your origin story, so to speak, is the same as every other Christian in this church. You were made alive by the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ. All of us share that fundamental testimony. And this shared spiritual life should create in our church an incredible sense of unity. Before we focus on all the things that differentiate us, we ought to emphasize and celebrate the one thing that unites us. God's work for us in the Spirit. We were all made alive by the Holy Spirit of God. This is why Paul mentions Jews and Greeks, slaves and free in verse 13. Those were nearly insurmountable divisions in Paul's day. And yet, Paul says, both of them belong to the body of Christ, Jews and Greeks slaves and free. You were all made to drink of the same spirit. You all became Christians in the same way. And therefore, you share this deep and fundamental unity. Why are we united together? Because we all share the same spirit. Friends, this fundamental shared spiritual life, this commonality that we have in the Holy Spirit is what church membership pictures to the world. So let's draw a line from Paul's doctrinal point to the local church's practice of church membership. Let's connect these two things. If the body of Christ is composed of those who have been made alive by the Spirit, then a local church's membership ought to be composed of the same, of believers, of those who have been made alive by the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, that's what church membership is. This is what I want you to hear me clearly on today. Church membership is a picture of the spiritual life that God has granted to his people by uniting them to the same Christ through the same Spirit which we have all shared in the same baptism. That's what church membership is. It's picturing our life together as believers. Again, let's be clear. 
no one is saved by joining a church. Please do not leave today thinking that church membership can save you. It cannot. Only Christ can save you. But at the same time, please do not leave thinking that church membership is therefore insignificant. While joining a church does not make you a Christian, joining a church does picture that you are a Christian. You could even think of it this way. When you join a local church, you are, in a sense, raising your hand to the world to say, I am a Christian. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, and I want to join my life to the life of Christ's body. And the local church, in response, sees your hand raised, and they hear your testimony of faith in Christ, and that local church says in response, we agree that this person is a Christian. We agree that this person has been made alive by the Holy Spirit, and therefore we receive this brother and sister as a member of Christ's body, local body, here at Fisherville. So do you see the public display that is happening in that exchange? It's a picture of spiritual life through the local church. In one sense, in one sense, the New Testament has no category for Christians who are not members of local churches. The New Testament has no category for that kind of person. What does a, what does a person do when they are made alive by the Holy Spirit of God? Well, they do many things, and one of which is join his or her life to a group of people who have also been made alive by the Holy Spirit of God. We join together. What we're talking about right now is something that Baptists have historically called regenerate church membership. I'm a Baptist by conviction. I know that you are as well. That's why we're a part of a Baptist church. And historically, what we're talking about here is what Baptists have called regenerate church membership. Regenerate simply means born again. So that long phrase, regenerate church membership, is making a simple point. A church's membership should be composed only of Christians. Only of those who have been born again. This is the practice that we, can, we intend to continue following at First Baptist Fisherville. This is why, just some practical considerations here, this is why we have a membership class so that we can make the gospel clear at the front door. So we can make the gospel clear and see how it shapes our church. That's why we have a membership class. It's also why elders do membership interviews, so that we can discern with as much charity as the Bible requires whether or not a person gives a credible confession of faith in Christ. Our membership process is deliberate on purpose. Because we believe that membership is giving a picture to the world of what it means to belong to Jesus. So we strive to have our practice of membership give as clear a picture of the gospel as possible. That's why church membership matters. Because it pictures our shared spiritual life together. That's reason number one. 
Let's move now to the second reason why church membership matters from verses 15 to 20. Church membership embraces our spiritual responsibility to one another. Church membership embraces our spiritual responsibility to one another. In the next paragraph, Paul draws a line from our unity in the Spirit to our responsibility to one another. He does this by continuing the image of a church as a physical body. And his point is to remind the Corinthians that regardless of their different gifts, they are responsible for one another. So notice the imagined scenario Paul sets up in verses 15 and 16. He, he uses a hypothetical scenario here to make his point. Look at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Remember, the context is spiritual gifts. Apparently, some Corinthians were attempting to distinguish themselves based on their gifts. My gifts are more important than yours, so I deserve more honor than you do. That appears to be what's going on. And that kind of thinking is clearly out of step with the gospel since it misses the shared spiritual life that every church member has. We all fully belong to Christ. But Paul's main correction in verse 15 has to do with more than unity. He's certainly concerned with unity. That's true. He wants to undercut rivalry, but he also wants to elevate responsibility. This, this is very key, friends, to understanding the passage. The problem with rivalry in a church is that it weakens our sense of responsibility to one another. If you envision yourself as being more important than another member, you are less likely to care about that member and love them in tangible ways. Rivalry undercuts responsibility. And that's the point that Paul's trying to make. He's not just promoting unity. He's doing that. He's promoting unity for the sake of responsibility so that we will take ownership of caring for one another. Paul makes this very clear in verse 17. He envisions a grotesque body that consists entirely of the same member. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Clearly, this is an absurd image in verse 17. It's even a little frightening. Imagine a gigantic eyeball just rolling through life. I bet you didn't expect to hear that in a sermon today at church. I didn't expect to say it until I started studying 1 Corinthians 12. Imagine just a gigantic eyeball. It's grotesque, right? It's grotesque. But more importantly, it doesn't work. It can't carry out its life properly. It can't carry out the function of a body since it's just one member. And therein lies Paul's point. A body needs all of its members to function properly, and that interdependence of the body makes us responsible for one another. It makes us responsible for the growth of each member. Friends, this is, this is the core of why we need church membership. Because on our own, 
we cannot carry out all the functions required of a local church. I need you to help me see. And we need one another to hear the word of God rightly. And we all need each other in order to live faithfully as the body of Christ. That's Paul's point. Church membership is an embrace of our responsibility to one another. I want to stress this a bit more because I am convinced I don't think most Christians in America get this point. So I want to stress this a little bit more. There are all sorts of commands in the New Testament for how Christians are to treat one another. And God expects you to obey those commands. To forgive, to love, to bear one another, to serve one another, to count others as more important than yourselves. Those are commands from God that he expects you to obey in relationship to other Christians. And yet, to which group of Christians am I responsible? My heart breaks for Christians in Ukraine, for example, who are enduring incredible difficulty. My heart breaks for those brothers and sisters. But the reality is, I can't obey all the commands of the New Testament in relationship to Ukrainian Christians. I can't forgive them. They haven't wronged me. I can't bear with them because I don't live near them. I can't bear their burdens in any sort of tangible way. I can pray for them but I can't bear their burdens in a tangible way. Why not? Because they live thousands of miles away. So to which group of Christians am I responsible to obey the New Testament? The answer is you. I'm responsible to you. And you are responsible to one another. We are responsible to live out the commands of the New Testament with the members of our local church. This is the body which God has made us accountable for and responsible to. This is why I say that church membership embraces our spiritual responsibility. By joining a church, you are in a sense putting yourself under the word of God so that you can live in obedience to the commands of that word. By joining a church, you demonstrate your desire to not just love Christians in general, but to love Christians specifically. These Christians, the ones you see each and every week. Of course, this is a complicated way to live, isn't it? The more you get to know me, the harder I become to love. That's true of everyone, by the way. This is a complicated way to live. Wouldn't it just be easier if we were all responsible for ourselves? Wouldn't the Christian life be easier if it was just me and Jesus? Well, Paul anticipates you, if that's what you're thinking. And in verse 18, he counters your objection. Paul reminds us that our responsibility for each other is an expression of God's wisdom. God's wisdom. Look at verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet one body. I love that phrase. God arranged the members as he chose. Why is our church composed the way that it is? Because God did this, and God's ways are wise. 
Look around the room. Look around the room. What you see in this gathering is the wisdom of God exhibited in flesh and blood. It's the wisdom of God. Our responsibility to one another is part of God's plan to keep us for heaven. That member three rows over is part of God's grace to make sure that you stay in the faith. The various gifts of the various members all come together to unify and strengthen the body as a whole so that it works together until we all reach glory. That's why church membership matters. Because it embraces our spiritual responsibility to one another. We don't just love Christians generally, we love them specifically here in this church. Practically, practically, this means that each member, each member of First Baptist Fisherville is responsible to uphold, guard, and strengthen the membership of the church. That is each member's responsibility. Ultimately, who is the earthly authority for receiving and resigning and removing members of the church? Who's the ultimate earthly authority to that? The answer is the congregation. The congregation together. Since membership is an expression of spiritual responsibility, the congregation as a whole is responsible to uphold and guard and strengthen the membership of the church. Now, that congregational responsibility is exercised through the ministry of the elders or pastors. This is why the elders do membership interviews and not the entire congregation. If we tried to have an entire congregation do a membership interview, we'd be here till next summer. So the elders, for example, do the interviews. The pastors take the lead in shepherding the membership. But ultimately, it's not the elders who are the final earthly authority. It's the congregation in matters of membership. As a body, we ought to affirm the receiving of new members. And as a body, we ought to affirm the resigning of departing members. Now, that's not exactly how our membership process works right now. That's not exactly how it works, but I will just let you know right now on this Sunday that the elders intend to refine our process in that direction. The goal, the goal is that at each quarter's members meeting, there would be a membership recommendation from the pastors. That recommendation would include membership additions as well as membership resignations. And we would send that recommendation out ahead of time so that each member can prayerfully consider those who are being added and those who are being resigned. And then at the members meeting, the elders would say, these are the folks that we recommend to receive as members. These are the folks that we recommend to resign as members. And the congregation would affirm or not that recommendation. We are leading the congregation is affirming. You see? That's the direction that we intend to go in our practice of membership. It's going to take us a little bit of time to get our procedures in line with that intention, but that's the direction that we want to go. Why refine our process in this way? 
so that it becomes increasingly clear that church membership is an exercise of spiritual responsibility in one another's lives. So that every time you raise your hand to say, yes, I receive that guy as a member, you are remembering at the moment you are responsible before God for that brother's spiritual well-being. That's reason number two, why church membership matters. That brings us to reason number three from verses 21 to 26. Why does church membership matter? Number three, church membership advances our spiritual growth through one another. Church membership advances our spiritual growth through one another. This is the implication of Paul's previous paragraph But he spells it out beginning in verse 21. Notice what the apostle says, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the hand to the feet, I have no need of you. To put it plainly, there are no Lone Ranger Christians. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. Without other believers, you cannot live the Christian life as God intends you to. We need one another because our spiritual growth is tied up in the ministry of one another. You have gifts that I don't have. And that's true all across the church at every level. So to grow as God wants me to grow, I need the membership of the local church. For you to grow as God intends you to grow, we need the membership of the local church. And this interdependence is so deep, it elevates the parts of the body that we might assume are less important. Paul makes this point in verses 22 to 24. Look there, verses 22 to 24. He continues to stretch the imagery of the church as a physical body. And his point is that the so-called weaker parts are vital to the church's overall health. Now, I'm not going to work through 22, 23, and 24 in detail just for the sake of time. But I am going to try to illustrate Paul's point. I want you to think of, because he's using this imagery of a physical body, so think for a second about one of your internal organs. We are covering all the bases today. Think for a second about one of your internal organs. Let's just say your kidney, for example. Part of the reason why your kidneys are internal is that they're too weak to be exposed to the outside world, right? Your, your kidneys are not as tough as your foot. If you stub your toe, you just keep on going. If you stub your kidney, I don't know how you do that, but if you stub your kidney, that's going to be a problem. So you might assume that since that member, your kidneys, since that member is weaker, it's somehow less vital, less important, But the opposite is true, isn't it? The opposite is true. Without your kidneys, you can't live. The function of that so-called weaker member is essential, which means that that member is not weak at all. It's not weak at all. So Paul's point in verse 22 and following is not to create some hierarchy between weak members and strong members. He's not saying in verse 22 that some parts are actually weaker. Notice he says they seem weaker. They appear based on worldly reasoning. 
So Paul is not creating a ranked hierarchy of gifts with some Christians being stronger and some Christians being weaker because of their gifts. His point is actually the exact opposite. There is no place in the church for such ranked thinking. There's no place. That kind of thinking belongs to the world, not to the church. It's the world who judges based on appearances. That's why Luke read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 for our scripture reading today to remind us that that's how the world thinks, not the people of God. In Christ's church, every member is received with honor because the health of the whole requires the involvement of the individual. That's really a good way to summarize those three verses. The health of the whole requires the involvement of the individual. And that's where Paul concludes the paragraph. Look at verses 25 and 26. Why has God built the church in this way? Verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? That's a compelling picture. The health of the whole comes through the work of each individual. When one suffers, we suffer together. When one is honored, we all rejoice. In this way, every member of the body receives the same care as the other members. When one grows, we all grow. That's the goal at work in church membership. Through meaningful membership, each member's spiritual growth advances through the ministry of one another. When you grow, we grow together. So as as we prepare to close this first week in our church sermon series, I want to draw out the most basic application from this point related to church membership. This is the most fundamental application. It is absolutely vital for members to faithfully attend the gathering of the church. That is step one in application. What does it mean to be a healthy church member? It means you regularly attend. If you are a member of this church, then the first step in carrying out your responsibility to the body is to be present and to be engaged. This is key. Please hear me on this next, I know, I know we're going long, but please hear me on these next couple of paragraphs. This is key for each of our spiritual growth and therefore for the growth of the whole as a body. A non-attending member is really no member at all. You can't care for others if you're not present. You can't be cared for if you're not present. So a good first step to strengthening the practice of membership is to pursue members who are not regularly attending. Now, I'm not talking about shut-ins. I'm not talking about people who have short seasons of trial that keep them from being able to faithfully attend. I'm not not talking about that category of people. Those members deserve our extra attention and care. I am talking about the member who is able to attend church but simply doesn't. To put it plainly, to put it plainly, the non-attending member is in an extremely 
dangerous spiritual position. The non-attending member is in an extremely dangerous spiritual position. The non-attending member is disconnecting himself or herself from a primary means of God's grace, the ministry of the body to one another. Practically then, we need to pursue the members who are not regularly attending. We should encourage them and call them to the fellowship so that they can benefit from our gifts and we can benefit from theirs. But if after, if after a period of regular pursuit, that non-attending member does not return to the assembly, then the congregation must consider the possibility of removing that person from membership because they're not attending. I know that sounds drastic. I know that sounds drastic, but remember what meaningful membership requires. It's not about a name on the roll. It is about a commitment to a specific body of Christians to whom you are accountable and responsible to care for. So let's remember ultimately that church membership is about the gospel. By joining a church, you testify to the world that you belong to Jesus Christ. And by receiving you as a member of the church, a congregation says that they find your testimony to be credible. And by living in fellowship together, that local church displays to the world the glorious good news that God reconciles sinners to himself, young and old, rich and poor, doesn't matter ethnicity, Background, social status, economic status. The church testifies to the world that God reconciles sinners to himself only by his grace. That's why meaningful membership matters. Because it gives a clear picture to the world of what it means to belong to Jesus. How is God going to keep you safe for heaven? Well, thankfully, he keeps you safe in many ways. And one of the primary ways, brothers and sisters, that he keeps you is through the membership of a local church where you receive the gifts of others and your gifts are employed for their good as well. Through meaningful church membership, every member of the body receives the same care as we await the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I am more convinced than ever that church membership even in our secular age, is a vital practice for the health of the church and the spread of the gospel. So I'm going to ask you to join with the elders in praying for God to continually strengthen our practice of membership. This is where we want to go. Pray for us in that work. Pray for us so that we are blessed and so that the world receives a clear picture of what it means to belong to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to be good stewards of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church belongs to Christ. He is the head of the church. He is the head of this church. And we want to be good stewards of the Lord Jesus' people. We pray, Father, that you would renew in each of us our sense of responsibility for the life and health of this body. Father, please help us as we continue to grow. Help us as we continue to seek to practice membership in accordance with the scriptures. 
so that the world receives a clear picture of what it means to belong to Jesus. Give us wisdom, Father. Give us charity for one another. Give us confidence in your word. And give us hope, Father, that your word does not return void. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.